0: Good morning, Elevation. It's good to be with you once again in this virtual space. For those of you who are visiting, my name is Brandon and I'm the lead pastor here in Waterloo. I read a great article this week. It was about a chest that was discovered in the Netherlands from about 300 years ago. And it's been sitting around in a museum because it was filled with all of these letters inside that were folded up and locked, just locked with paper. Some of you may remember back from maybe your middle school years where you would write a letter to someone and then you would fold it up in all those kind of squares so that it was kind of latched together. Well, that's what these letters were like. There was a bunch of them, 577 of them crammed into this um, chest, which was filled of undelivered letters. But the problem was that they were so old that if anyone tried to Ravel them, they just would have disintegrated, they would have fallen apart. And so they sat there unopened and unread. Until recently, some uh, technology was developed using highly sensitive x-ray scanner and a computer algorithm in order to be able to read through the different layers of these letters. It's so neat. Um, now, unfortunately, the, one that they, the first one that they used, and they kind of, shared the contents of it publicly. It was just a letter from someone to their cousin saying, hey, could you send me a copy of so-and-so's death certificate? So no, nothing scandalous, nothing really romantic, but it was still neat, the idea that we could like read into these letters that were written hundreds of years ago without even unfolding them. I was thinking about how we do something similar every time we gather together and open up this Bible. We're trying to figure out how to unfold its pages in a way that we can get to the heart of its original message without destroying it in the process. And then we have parables within the Bible, these stories that Jesus tells, and they have a whole other layer of security built into them. So not only are we handling now 2,000 year old documents, but we're charged with unlocking their various layers of meaning. And Jesus loved to use the parable as a way of teaching a few chapters earlier than our reading this morning in Matthew 13. This is what we read. Jesus spoke all of these things to the crowds in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. During the season of Lent, the parables of Jesus that we're carefully opening together, they are all different in their own ways, but they have a common thread of grace that runs through each one. Now, the story that Jesus tells in this particular passage that we heard this morning is about forgiveness. But before we get to the parable itself, the setup. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, forgiveness is rarely easy, regardless of which side of the equation that you find yourself on. If you have done something to offend someone or to hurt someone, you've made a mistake, uh, and you're the one who needs to ask forgiveness, well, that's challenging because you kind of put yourself at risk. What if they reject you? And it's just kind of humbling sometimes in order to ask for forgiveness. On the other side of the equation, if you're the one who has been hurt or has been offended, it's no other thing easy thing to offer forgiveness. And there are all kinds of barriers that can get in the way. Uh, In a lot of times, if their relationship is broken, then you have to kind of bridge that divide and that can be challenging. Uh, Sometimes the person that you need to forgive doesn't actually deserve to be forgiven and that can be a high hurdle to overcome as well. And sometimes even the act of trying to forgive someone could result in more pain. What if the person doesn't accept uh, the forgiveness? What if they offend you even more in that next interaction? So forgiveness is a challenging thing. My hope is this morning is to find a way to talk about the very real challenges of forgiveness in a way that honors the equally real situations that you may find yourself in. I understand that this morning's topic may be triggering for some people. I hope that it's not. I hope that the way that we talk about it this morning is healthy, Um, but if for any reason you find yourself uncomfortable, feel free to hit that mute button for a minute. Now, practically speaking, why might Peter have asked, been in a situation where he had to forgive someone seven times? There are basically two things that I think of. One is that he's got someone in his life who is just repeatedly offending him. Like literally, they do the same thing seven times. So let's say Peter finds out that someone has been talking behind his back and he confronts the person and they have a conversation. He asks for forgiveness and Peter forgives this person for talking behind his back. A few days go by and Peter hears again that the same person has talked behind his back and then he goes to him he says man like what are you doing you're talking behind my back again but I forgive you again and then a couple days later the same thing happens so maybe what Peter's talking about with this seven times of forgiveness is that the same person is doing the same kind of offense time and time again. Now that might happen and maybe that's happened to you but then I had this idea that maybe he was talking about something else because sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where it's difficult for us to maintain our forgiveness. And so maybe Peter forgave someone and then woke up the next morning and realized, "Mm, I don't feel like I've really forgiven them today. And so we had to kind of forgive them again and then forgive them again. And so maybe that's what he meant, I'm not sure. Whether a person actually repeats their offense against us time and time again, sometimes when a person does hurt or offend us to the core, it can feel like they're doing it over and over again. And we have to return to this theme of forgiveness. Now, the interesting thing is that Peter's question follows on the heels of Jesus' teaching on how we should handle a situation of sin in the church. He basically lays out a few few different steps for us to consider. If someone sins, he says, you should go up to them, show them their fault, just between the two of you, have that conversation. Hopefully they receive it and they reform their ways. That might not happen. And if it doesn't, the next thing you do is you take one or two other people along, just for some accountability if they still don't receive what you're saying, then you need to involve the church. You need to invite the church to speak into their life as a whole. And he says, if they won't listen to the church, then you're gonna have to treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So I was kind of wondering, because this question of Peter's followed on the heels of this teaching of Jesus, if Peter had this idea that, well, maybe I'll kind of show Jesus just how uh, willing to forgive I am, and I'll up the number. Jesus said kind of three strikes, you're out. I'll say, Jesus, should I forgive someone seven times? So maybe Peter was trying to impress Jesus with his willingness to forgive. But then the question is, was Jesus really advocating a three strikes and year out policy? Is that what he was doing? Some people have interpreted that way uh, for sure. But then I think we have to ask a question. What does Jesus think about tax collectors? What does he think about pagans? How did Jesus interact with these people that he said you're going to have to treat them like tax collectors? Well, as we learn reading through the Gospels, Jesus actually was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He spent time with them. He was known as their friend. And so far from being like a three strikes and you're out, Jesus seems to be encouraging these people, then you're going to have to treat them with the same kind of love and respect that I treat outsiders to the church. If you're willing to go back even a few verses further in Matthew chapter 18, you'll find Jesus describing the lengths that he would go in order to find just one of these wandering souls. Let me read the passage for you. Matthew 8, 12 to 14. What do you think, Jesus asks, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So whatever Jesus meant by his comment about treating someone like a pagan or a tax collector, it certainly wasn't that there are limits to how much grace should be extended before you give up on someone altogether. So back to the conversation. Peter says, how many times should I forgive someone? Up to seven times. And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Translation can be a little tricky. Some versions say 70 times seven times, which would be, that's right, 490 times. Eugene Peterson writes, in all matters of wrongdoing, in all matters of sin, in all that has to do with what is wrong with the world and with us, what is wrong with our enemies and our friends, forgiveness is the last word. Now, One final observation before we get to the actual parable this morning. As followers of Jesus, we have to wade into the waters of forgiveness, but we risk losing our footing altogether if we try to apply his words too closely in certain circumstances. So a couple of situations. One would be an abusive relationship. Some people might be tempted to translate this or interpret this passage and say, well, Jesus said I have to keep forgiving this person 70 times, seven times, like that's a lot. A healthy understanding of forgiveness will never demand that you repeatedly put yourself in harm's way. Now, another situation where we have to be careful would be with systemic injustice. Again, forgiveness is an important part of overcoming injustice, absolutely, but it shouldn't come at the expense of demonstrable change. So into the parable that Jesus tells as a follow-up to his answer to Peter's question. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Generally speaking, there are two reasons that you would loan money to someone. One is to help them get by until they're able to stand on their own two feet. And the second reason is to profit from it. Now we know nothing at all about the motivations of this king. We don't know why he chose to loan the money to people and we don't know why he chose to call the loans. What we do know is that when he called his loans, one particularly indebted man was brought before him. Now, generally speaking, there are two reasons that you would borrow money from someone. One would be to make a profit. Sometimes you wanna borrow money in order to start a business or some other venture. And a lot of times you would borrow money in order to help yourself get by until you can stand on your own two feet. Once again, we know nothing about this servant's motivation for borrowing the money. The only thing that we know for sure Is that about this situation? Is that this particular servant owed the king 10,000 bags of gold? Now, if you've heard this parable before, you may have heard about 10,000 talents. And so we have to do a little translating here. A talent was a monetary unit that was equivalent to approximately 20 years' wages for a common laborer. So one talent, 20 years' labor. This servant owed 10,000 talents. So by one estimate, this was something in the neighborhood of 60 million days wages, or if you want to translate it into modern day dollars, about $6 billion. So this guy owed a lot of money. First question that I had when I was thinking about it this week, in what world would someone be allowed to rack up that much debt? Like that just seems absolutely crazy. Jesus was a master of hyperbole. He loved doing this kind of thing. And actually, as big as that number is, as big as these totals of dollars and cents are, um, what Jesus might've been saying was might've been even more extreme. You see, the number 10,000 is kind of the biggest number that he could have used to express at that time. Uh, and the measure of a talent was the biggest measure of money at the time. So what Jesus was essentially saying was, this guy owed his, this king as much money as could possibly be owed to anyone. Now, what was this man supposed to do? What hope did he have? Well, his only hope was to fall on his knees before the king and beg for for the king to be patient with him. But had the king granted the servant's request, there's no practical way that he ever could have paid off his debts. Think about it. He, the king's solution is, okay, well, we're going to sell this man and his wife and his children into to slavery, and, and then we will use that money to help pay off the debt. Well, the largest recorded amount that anyone has, had ever paid at that point for a slave was one talent. So his wife, his children are all paid. Even if they got the maximum amount ever paid, they don't even touch the 10,000 talents, 10,000 bags of gold that he owed the king. The point seems to be, that nothing that this servant promised to do could have had any effect at all on the king, since he had no hope at even making the slightest dent into this debt. Now this parable, it is stocked with shocking twists and turns, one of which is the king's response to this servant's request for more time to pay off the debt. He cancels the debt altogether. Miroslav Wolf wrote a book called Free of Charge and is one of the most beautiful books about forgiveness that I have come across. At one point, he writes that forgiveness cuts the tie of equivalence between the offense and the way we treat the offender. That's exactly what the king does in this. He cuts the tie between the debt that was owed and the person who owes the debt. Now we're gonna run into a number of illustrations about the surprising wideness of God's mercy as we explore these parables of grace leading up to Easter. And this is one of them. If it was ridiculous to think about someone racking up this much debt, like how could anyone rack up $6 billion of debt? You know what's even more preposterous? The idea that someone would just forgive that amount of debt, just like that. Forgive it outright. Throughout this unbelievable story, jesus foreshadows the mountain of sin that he would carry with him to the cross in order to pave the way for each one of us to be freed from its burden as we journey through lent on the way to the cross let's remember god's incredible favor in our lives tim keller a pastor writes you don't have to have it all together in order to merit god's forgiveness you just have to want it all you need is need all you need is nothing. Now the other day we celebrated our son's 16th birthday, Jude turned 16, very exciting. We had a bit of a party out on the driveway of our house, which was a lot of fun. And as we were standing around talking, my nephew was there, uh, so Jude's cousin, and we were talking about how him and his wife had just sold their home, they're moving away, uh, and uh, we were talking about the incredible price that he got for his home. If you've been listening to things about the real estate market in our region lately, it's just out of control. Um, They put a pretty high asking price on their their home, and they actually received more than $100,000 over their asking price. So we were standing there talking about it and one of my brother-in-law said something like, it's like you won the lottery. And I I said, that's exactly what this is like. Like if you would have got what you asked for your house, which was a high price, and then walked to the variety store and cashed in a ticket and they said you won $100,000, you'd be losing your mind. Like you just won a huge lottery. And that's exactly what it was like. And that is only a shadow of the reverse lottery that's won by the servant in Jesus' parable. He gets this massive freedom from a debt that he could never have begun to repay. The passage continues. When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. Again. Little financial translation for you, 100 silver coins is like 100 working days. So remember, 100 working days compared to the 60 million working days that the servant owed the king. Now, what would you expect to happen in this situation? If you'd never heard it before, you would expect that out of the joy of having just won this kind of reverse lottery, that this servant would just free this person who owned a few dollars from the debt that he had. That's what you would expect. Now, both servants responded in the same way, both of them, fall to their knees, and they beg and plead for the person they owed money to to be patient with them. But almost inexplicably, the servant's response to his own debtor is both violent and personal. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Now, this servant, it just seems plain ridiculous to us. How could he ever? How is it possible that someone who had received so much grace could have so little grace for another person? which is exactly the response that Jesus was going for. How could this ever happen? How was it possible for the servant to respond in this way? Because everything that he saw about the world around him told him that you should get what you deserve. Remember, just moments earlier, he had responded and, but with this proposal of a plan to try to pay off this ridiculously huge debt. That was his plan. I've got to do something to make up for this. Miroslav Volf writes again, if on the bottom line of our lives lies the principle that we should get what we deserve, whether good or ill, forgiveness will sit uncomfortably with us. To forgive is to give people more than they're due, is to release them from the debt they have incurred, and that's bound to mess up the books. If we, like the servant, expect that God might just forgive us, if we promise this or promise that, then we're bound to repeat the same kind of pattern in our relationship with others and what we expect for them. If we think that we have to earn God's forgiveness, then we're gonna expect that other people have to earn forgiveness from us. And that is why it is so important for us to accept and embrace the grace of God. Now the parable ends on a haunting note with Jesus depicting his father in heaven as an angry king bent on teaching him a lesson. What do we do with this? Well, let me ask you a question. Remember, at the tail end of this parable, the king casts the servant out and says that the jailer is gonna torture him until he's paid back everything he owes. So here's the question. Would torture be too strong of a word to describe what unforgiveness does to our relationships? If someone has wronged you and they have never asked for forgiveness, or if you have wronged someone else and you have never sought forgiveness from them, doesn't it kind of feel like torture? It's almost as if the father is saying, OK, then I guess we'll play by your rules. I wanted us to play by these rules, but you insist on us playing by these rules. N.T. Wright explains it this way. Not to forgive is to shut down a faculty in the innermost person, which happens to be the same faculty that can receive God's forgiveness. So there's something about who we are, how we were created to live, where the thing thing that enables us to receive forgiveness and offer forgiveness is both one and the same part of of our being. And we shut that down when we don't offer grace to others, which means that we can't receive it from God. And so the parable ends, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So a billion dollar debt, threatened to banish the servant to a life of bondage. But the thing that ultimately landed him in the hands of the jailer was his unwillingness to extend the same grace that he had already received. Robert Farrar Capon writes, if we insist on binding others' debts upon them in the name of our own right to life, we will, by not letting grace have its way through us, cut ourselves off from ever knowing the joy of grace in us. Now this parable was almost certainly intended to echo some of Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus is talking about prayer and then he kind of breaks and says, well, when you pray, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven. And he goes on to teach the prayer that we affectionately refer to as the Lord's Prayer. As soon as he's done teaching this prayer, he refers back to one of the lines in the prayer and he expands on it. The line says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, the thing is, this wasn't just an instruction on how to pray, but it was also about our lives needing to match what we're praying for. And so immediately after he teaches this prayer, Jesus says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, I realize that these are heavy words, especially if forgiveness is something that you struggle with. And so my recommendation would be that you extend whatever shred of forgiveness you can for now and allow God to lead you onward in his timing and in his own great love and mercy. In another one of Miroslav Volf's books, he talks about an experience that he had. He was held prisoner in the former Yugoslavia, and he was severely mistreated. And he talks about the trauma that he went through and the the particular kind of captain who was overseeing his interrogations and his mistreatment and how he's been struggling for so long with forgiveness. He said he would have kind of come to a place where he feels like I did forgive him. And then he heard this voice of God saying, maybe you could do better. And so we set out on a path to try to figure out how can I do a better job forgiving this person? I've had some experiences of my own in the last few months. In the late fall and early winter, I went on distanced outdoor walks with two different people in my life, two people who to be honest would have hurt me and caused me more pain in my life than pretty much anyone else two people that I had severely broken relationships with in the past. And when I went for the walk with the first person, we talked about it. We talked about the pain, we talked about the broken relationship. And I think it was out of that conversation in the beginning of forgiveness and reconciliation that made me reach out to the other person. And, And we went on a walk and we had conversation and while we didn't get into all of the details, we did acknowledge that we have to walk through these details if we want to ever have a reconciled relationship. Forgiveness is not easy, it's difficult stuff. And I want to acknowledge that a complete reconciliation, it's not always possible, but it's never possible until we take the important first steps of forgiving a brother or sister who sins against us. The thing is, these words of Jesus, they're not just ideas to be batted around, to be discussed. They're life giving truths that get to the heart of what it means for us to be image bearing followers of Jesus. We sent out some packs in the mail three weeks ago now for the season of Lent. And this week there's an object in that pack that we want you to put in some kind of a prominent place or carry with you as you go for walks, praying through your neighborhood. It's a little dollar bill, little monopoly money. Now, don't get upset if you didn't get a very large denomination on a bill. Mine was only five dollars. So doesn't matter, just accept what you've got. We want you to look at these these bills and we want you to remember that we all have debts that we need to have forgiven. And then we've all been forgiven by God. And I want these bills to also remind us of the fact that we might actually need to forgive someone else from what they owe us. We have a prayer that we're also encouraging our community to pray together through the course of this week. May love and forgiveness for others less and less optional. These are some of the thoughts that I hope will linger through our minds in the week to come. While Jesus was answering Peter's questions about forgiving others, he snuck in some beautiful, powerful truths about the way that God forgives us. And I don't want us to lose track of that either. One of the things that Jesus reminds us of is that God's love is so great for us. I've been listening to this song lately. It's called God is good by an artist named Chris Renzima. I want to read some of the lyrics before we wrap up here because he is good and he is god what i earned it's not what i got and he is just yet also kind what i deserve it's not what i find what more could i say about him my god is love in just a moment we're going to dismiss to our neighbors group for some post-service discussion if you're not part of a neighbor's group normally, there'll be a link in the comment section right now, and you can click on that and join in for some discussion about this morning's theme. For the rest of you, I encourage you to take some time connecting with people, checking in on how we're doing, and wrestling together with some of these themes around forgiveness. We're gonna to listen to a song when I conclude my prayer in a moment, and in just a couple of minutes, just invite you to listen to the lyrics and reflect on them as we close our time together. But before we hear that, let us pray. God, I'm grateful that you chose these stories that we can kind of imagine in our mind's eye. We can kind of picture what's going on. And and even though these stories are so extreme, they're powerful. And in this one, God, we are challenged to acknowledge just how great your love and mercy and grace in our lives can be. And we're also challenged to find a way to be channels of that same love and grace and mercy to others. Help us to forgive. Be with us as we seek reconciliation. And in all things, Help us to celebrate and give thanks to you for the amazing love that you show us in Christ. Amen. Peace to you.